Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer right off the bat, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're about to open your word, a word that has been given to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, and, and therefore what they wrote became the very word of God. And this word has the ability to, to pierce deep within us. It has the ability to show us things we would not otherwise know. It has the ability to stir our hearts with an eagerness to obey and to live that that good and righteous and God-pleasing life. So, Father, allow your word to do all those things today in each one of us according to our need. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for the sake of his glorious church. Amen. Red Letter Living. That's the title of this series of messages that we've been in for some weeks now. Its official subtitle is Putting the Teachings of Jesus into Practice. That's all those red letters of the New Testament. Its unofficial subtitle could be the Like No Other series. You see, Jesus was certainly a teacher like no other. And there's no question he expected his people to be people like no other. And so nearly every message I've preached in this series has had the phrase like no other in its title. The title of today's message, An Attitude Like No Other, certainly follows that pattern. You see, there's a key attitude. There's a key attitude that Jesus would want all of his followers to possess and express. This key attitude all by itself will go a long, long way toward making his followers a people like no other. That attitude is revealed in today of Jesus apart a little bit. But as we do that, there's three at least key terms in that statement. First one, tribulation. Tribulation, the Greek word there, when we bring it into English, can, can mean a variety of things. It can cover just basic troubles. Troubles. I'm going through troubles. Tribulation. Could be trials. There's things testing me. It's like tribulation, or it can actually mean persecution. There are those who are out to get me and to make my life difficult because of my faith in Christ. Tribulation, that word can cover all of that. Trouble, trial, persecution. And then the phrase good cheer. Be of good cheer. Lighthearted, positive, happy confident. And then the word overcome. Jesus says, I have overcome. Overwhelmed. 
defeated, astounded perhaps. I've just overcome them. Maybe in amazement. You see, these red letter words, as we now take them apart, they provide first off a most shocking reality check. Now, maybe it's not shocking to you. It could be. Might be. If you're a brand new believer, most likely it is a shocking reality check. Jesus says, here, I'm going to tell you something about the way life is. And you need to come to grips with this. And here's what he says. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Now, I joked joked with you about saying, yay. And some of you went right along with me. Because you're just followers. But would we really say, yay? Tribulations coming our way. Troubles, difficulties, persecutions. Oh, boy. It's not good news. Yeah, can't wait. And some of us have already been there. It's already here. It's not future. And Jesus, though, is telling his disciples, who are the front end of this whole Christian adventure, Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't even come into the world yet. These men haven't actually even been born again yet. They are just beginning the process. He's still with them. And he's pretty much protected them from everything. He's done everything, most all the miracles, the teaching. And then he looks at them and he says, you... In this world, as long as you're in it, you will have tribulation. Now, this is what I'm calling a reality check given by Jesus to his disciples and really to all of us who believe in him and commit ourselves to red-letter living, trying to please him. This reality check can be added to that list that over the years I've called unhappy secrets of the Christian life. This is one of them. Nobody's excited about this. Nobody really does cheer this fact, but it is a unhappy truth. For many of us, there's been a time has been a secret. For people who kind of think, if I accept Jesus as my Savior, it'll be clear sailing from then on, smooth and nice. To them, it would be a secret. And certain things happen and say, hey, how come? What, what, what's this about? I thought once I was a Christian, I wouldn't have any more troubles. Well, for most of us in this room, it's a, well, it, for none of us is it a secret any longer, because I just told you. <laughs> An unhappy secret of the Christian life. In this world, you shall have Tribulation. And you might say, yeah, I know. It's probably because I mess up all the time. I shoot myself in the foot regularly. I don't know why God only gave me two of them. Well, there's a reason, though. Jesus is not going to say, because you mess up, I mess up, we bring trouble upon ourselves. He's saying, as long as we're living in this world, we will have some tribulation, troubles, Trials, persecution even. 
And so I want to share with you this morning, to begin with, a couple of reasons why that is, so that we can have a framework and understand this, this reality Jesus has shared. So several reasons. One, those who are seeking to follow Jesus by keeping in step with his spirit and living red-letter lives will experience tribulation in this world because, number one, as you see, the world is a broken, God-cursed place. Troubles of all kinds can and will come. Just read the first five chapters Actually, first six chapters of the book of Genesis. Bible tells us because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, God cursed the ground of this physical world. He said to Adam, it's going to produce thorns and weeds. And he didn't know anything about it at the time, but we would say tumbleweeds. They grow like crazy. And you pull them out and they come right back. And you've got to work at it. Dandelions. Now, not many of us have grass anymore. But some of you might. I remember a few years ago when I was trying to make my front lawn the most beautiful front lawn in the neighborhood so everybody would go by and just envy it. Oh, I was mowing it twice a week, keeping the grass nice and high so it didn't burn out. and It would look fluffy and rich and fertilize it. It would look green. And every now and then, it would decorate itself. <laughs> Pure green, and then a beautiful little yellow spot here and here and there. In fact, Linda and I were walking the dog last week, and one of our neighbors, who still has grass and is keeping it going had those attractive color accents. And I actually said to Linda, I think they look pretty nice. You know, they're just little spots of color. But you know how dandelions are. They, they're not solitary plants. You might have a patch here, patch here, and then pretty soon they're everywhere. The world's like that. The world's like that. All the way from Adam's day, when God said, by the sweat of your brow, you will get food out of this ground. God announced that life lived on this world would become much more troublesome. Man would have to make a living as opposed to just having it handed to him. Now, as a result of the flood in Noah's day, Genesis chapter 6, God drastically altered the very nature of this physical world. The Bible tells us the fountains of the deep, vast, vast stores of water. And who knows what kind of stability those fountains of the deep provided for this earth as God designed it. But the fountains of the deep were released. They were breached. And the protective canopy above was destroyed. Natural disasters became part of man's experience on this God-cursed and flood-damaged world. When you think about it, the amazing thing is that it holds together as well as it does. Seeing how that flood devastated it, altered it. So you see, all mankind experiences trouble and trial and difficulty, 
because the physical world is a broken, God-cursed place. And as long as you and I live on it, we will experience that kind of trouble. We're just living on a planet that has uh, been changed from what it was. Secondly, though, those who are seeking to follow Jesus by keeping in step with the Spirit and living red-letter lives will experience unique tribulation in this world because the world, a little bit different use of that word, the world is a sinful, ungodly system. Now we're not talking about the physical planet that we walk on and live on, but there's a system of thinking, a system of responding, a system of of perspectives all rolled together that are just ungodly, that characterize what the Bible calls in this sense, the world. Sinful. God's truth is challenged on every hand. There's no middle ground. Things that are almost right, almost wrong, they're either godly or they're ungodly. And as a result, troubles come. Over the years, I've identified the world system by these three systemic. We like that word today, don't we? It's used a lot. It means a system that is pervasive. Three systemic worldly values. If you keep these three in mind, it'll probably give you a pretty good handle on what the Bible means when it talks about worldliness. First value is this, I call it personalism. It means it's all about me. It's all about me. My person. Taking care of me. Watching out for me. Doing what's best for me. Putting me first. That's one of the values of the world. You got to watch out for number one. That's a worldly value. It's not a godly value, but it's a worldly one. And it it influences the way that most people who live in this world system function. The second one, familiar word to us, materialism. Means life is all about tangible things things. It's things that we pursue. It's things that can bring us uh, excitement. It's things that can make our life easier. It's things that can make our life exciting. It's things that our hard-earned money can buy that make the hard-earned part of it worthwhile. Materialism. Touchable. Handleable material things. And that's really all that counts. That's a value in this world. Advertisers understand that, don't they? They're always promoting something. Because the world says, your life can get better if you add certain new things to your life and we can provide those things for you. So personalism, it's all about me. Materialism, the goal of life and the joy of life really is wrapped around having and enjoying things. And then temporalism, I use that word to mean, and it's all about this moment right now. Right now. I don't care about consequences. 
I, don't, I may not live to see the consequences of that. I just want to do it right now because I think it would be fun, it would be good. I want to do it. I don't care what else it might. This moment is all I have. This moment is all that I'm guaranteed to have because I got it already. And I'm going to make the most out of it. This moment. And I live for the moment. Now, those three things, we could probably come up with some others, but those three terms pretty much give you a, the parameter inside which the world operates. Personalism, materialism, temporalism, each one of these was given birth and brought to the fore by Satan himself in the Garden of Eden. Read through Genesis chapter 3 and, and just see how it happened. You can read those verses and, and, and say to yourself, where do I see personalism coming up here? Where do I see materialism being expressed here? Where do I see temporalism living for the moment expressed here in the way that Satan came and just knocked Adam and Eve for a loop? And established this ungodly world system that has continued on. You see, it's not easy to practice red-letter living in the midst of a world system that challenges it on every hand. The devil still offers his alternative, and the bulk of the people you meet are in one way or another drinking his Kool-Aid. Put yourself first. Make a target for the thing that when you get it will bring you joy and a sense of satisfaction and focus upon the, the fullness of this moment right now. Drain this drop, this moment to the, to the last drop. People are living that way. So following Jesus and keeping in step with Numa can easily seem to be counterproductive by those people. And certainly, they could see that kind of life could be troublesome. And those who are living it frequently run into trouble with those who are living with the thinking of the world. Now, here's the third thing. Third reason why those who are seeking to follow Jesus by keeping in step with his spirit and living what we're calling red-letter lives why they will experience tribulation in this world, it's because many of the people of the world will hate you. Many of the people of the world hate those who are following Jesus Christ. Hate those who are living by different standards. You can be seen in this world as a non-compliant oddball say that to somebody right around you I, I can kind of see you as a non-compliant oddball now that's a that's a light-hearted way to put it it can certainly lead to some troubled times if people view you as a non-compliant. you're not going along with the program and you're not going along with the program because you're just an oddball. You're weird. You're out of step. Now, we in this room who are of a certain age 
have experienced a titanic shift in the attitudes of our American society toward those who follow Christ, toward those who actually try to practice the, new, the red letter living that Jesus advocated. In this day and age, far more than just being viewed as mere non-compliant oddballs, Christians are increasingly viewed as threats to the system, dangers even to the well-being and the free living of others. Hatred is not too strong a word for what is going on. And so if you're tempted to ask, well, what's wrong with me? Why do they think so badly of me? Why do I find them beyond just snickering about me, but actually slandering me? Have you ever think that? Why? Why do people view me like that? Take to heart these red letter words as your answer. John 15, verses 18 to 19, Jesus said... If the world hates you. Said that all the way back 2,000 years ago. But see, Jesus wasn't walking with his disciples through a so-called Christian nation. He was walking with them through a subjugated nation, ruled over by a Roman government who did not acknowledge the God of Israel at all, and they could easily say, I understand that. I understand the, the Romans hate us. And even some of the Jewish leaders, once the message of Christ really gets going strong, and once Jesus has died on the cross and we say he's the sacrifice of God for the sins of the world, we're going to find out even the Jewish people hate us. And think would be better, they would be better off with us dead. Now, as I said, those of us of a certain age, probably most of us actually in this room, have lived in this country when it carried the title of a Christian nation, even though it never was legally or officially declared Christian. But Christians were viewed as good, solid Americans. Good, solid Americans were viewed as being part of their solidness, being church members and Bible believers and, and people who tried to live honestly and good and watch out for their neighbor. We lived in a world like that, where there wasn't very much trouble that Christians ever got into just because they're trouble. Christians never were persecuted just because they were Christians, because there was that feeling we all are. Things have changed. Things have changed. We are now living in what is increasingly being recognized as a secular nation. Still has certain freedoms to do whatever you want with your personal religious beliefs as long as they don't bother anybody else. But there are those who, who are increasingly saying those religious beliefs are starting to bother us. They're kind of presenting values that we don't recognize, we don't honor, we don't support, and we'd never want to make a law to, uh, to put into place. 
And so Jesus said, if the world hates you, and for those of us who might have lived through the period and are in the period where it was kind of a positive thing to be a Christian to where right now it's kind of a negative thing to declare yourself a, a Bible believer and, and a Christian, and we might experience the shock of instead of being patted on the back for being a good, solid American Christian, we're being viewed as a threat to this America. We could easily say, what's happened? What's going on? Why are people treating me like this? Why do they drive down the street and look at this building with a cross on it and, and, and form opinions that we would have never believed would be formed 20 or 30 years ago? And so part of our shock value is saying we are increasingly surrounded by people who basically hate us. Now Jesus says to his disciples way, way back then, they were just on the front end of some of these things. He said, if, if the world hates you, if you get to a place where that is true, there are believers in Jesus Christ being killed today in other parts of our world due to hatred and spite and meanness. Jesus says, if, if you ever fall into that category, don't say to yourself, I must be mistaken. Don't say to yourself, well, what can I do to make him like me? Don't say, wow, this is a terrible situation. What's happened to our country? Let's elect somebody who will straighten it out. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember something. Okay, what, what fond memory can we remember that will put that all right? If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. They hated me. And then in the next verse he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Hmm. You see, the sad and not so shocking reality is simply that you don't. You don't belong to the world and thus it doesn't love you as its own. Well, that's a pretty big load of reality to dump on someone, wouldn't you say? Jesus did it the last night of his life. Here they were in the upper room having their last meal together, and in the midst of that meal, everything in John chapter 15 and everything in John chapter 16 was shared that night, just before Jesus goes out and gets arrested and is on his way to being scourged and beaten and humiliated and then crucified. And his own disciples got to see what hate looks like when it's directed at Jesus Christ. What does hate look like? And basically what Jesus is saying, so don't be surprised. If you're going to line yourself up with me, you might receive some of the same treatment I received. Might. For most of our life, most of my life in this country, not a chance. 
I could confess I'm a Christian. I could even go into some place in the last 50 years and say I'm a pastor in a church. And most people would say, well, good for you. Good for you. We need more good men and young men and, you know, whatever it might be. But we're shifting to have more of a New Testament experience, I believe. And Jesus says, now you've got to keep yourself straight here. You've got to remember. You've got to be in contact with certain realities or you'll be blown away when things happen or you'll wonder where you messed up, where you went wrong. Why is this happening? Why don't people like me and support what I believe? Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. Because you see, he didn't belong to the world. He didn't belong to the world, and the world didn't love him at all. That is a shocking reality check to hit anybody with. Jesus didn't stop there, though. It's a good thing he didn't that night. But secondly, these red-letter words this morning provide what I'm calling a most encouraging announcement. And Jesus said this right away. He didn't let his first words just sink in and, and destroy them. He said, but I have overcome the world. I've overcome it. I'm bigger than the world. I've defeated it. I've overwhelmed it. I've astounded many of the people in it. Well, how did he do that? Because he really even put it past tense. I have, I am, overcome. He's the overcomer. Well, a couple of things I'd share with you. Jesus overcame the physical world, demonstrated his authority over it, first of all, by reversing its effects. Reversing its effects. And we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus healing the sick. Reversing the effect of disease and disaster that that comes just because this is no longer the paradise God created. We see Jesus even raising the dead. The ultimate effect of this fallen, broken world is death. We see Jesus on occasion raising somebody and restoring them to life. We see Jesus stilling the the storm, the winds and the waves when his, his disciples were terrified. And he just stopped them, calmed them. The wind stopped, the waves calmed down. The danger passed. And they said, what kind of man is this? Well, he's a man who can reverse the actual effects of this fallen, broken world upon human beings. And he demonstrated that. The Gospels recount miracle after miracle of him doing that. Now, he didn't reverse everything. But he demonstrated that he had the power to reverse anything that he chose to reverse. Jesus didn't eliminate all disease. Jesus didn't eliminate the hardness of creating a a life for yourself out out of the dust of the ground. 
Because to do that, he would have to reverse his own father's curse upon this. This world is a cursed place. There's going to be a new heaven someday and a new earth someday. This one will someday be rolled up like a garment, be done. But the Son of God came into this world and everywhere this world has exerted itself, he had the power to reverse that and to bring back health, to bring back wholeness, to even bring back life, to stop even the the physical forces, the storm. You see, the world... The world, the planet itself, was forced to surrender to his will. He exercised authority and control over it. He had overcome it. And because he had, the world would never again, listen to this, I love this statement, the world would never again have the final say in any believer's destiny. Let the unbeliever say, when you're dead, you're dead. They're believing the world has the final say in their destiny. They believe they're just a physical being. They believe they just are like a tree growing out there that occasionally runs its cycle and dies and gets cut down. When you're dead, you're dead. This physical earth has the final say. Not with Jesus Christ. And not with those who belong to him. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to one who has conquered, who has overcome even this physical world with all of its pretension to being in charge. And for us, as we know, death is not the, fi- is not the answer, the final. When you're dead, you're dead. No, Jesus said we saw just two weeks ago on Easter. He who believes in me, he who believes in me, though he dies... Yet shall he live. Yet shall he live. That's our Savior Jesus exercising and demonstrating that he has overcome this physical world and, and all the things that come from the way sin has affected it. You see, trouble may still come to us. Disasters may befall us. Sickness might overtake us, but never will any of that overcome what we have in Christ. Amen? We're told in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, that God himself works in all these things. Sickness, trouble, even death, discouragement, anything that this fallen, broken world can send our way, God works in all these things for the good of those who love him. God will make something marvelous out of every circumstance this broken world brings us. The Holy Spirit who companions us will walk us into that situation, will walk us through it, and the glory of God will be seen because of it. God works in all these things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Never again will the fallen world win in the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ. For Jesus has overcome it. So Paul could say, death, even death, where's your sting? Bring it on. Bring it on. 
We're not going to live forever unless we live to the moment when Jesus returns and then we'll never face death. But if we live out a normal lifespan and, and the earth is getting ready to claim its final victory that we will return to dust and that'll be it, we can say, oh, how wrong. My life, when I die here, my life is eternally with Christ in heaven. And there's coming a day when even my body will be resurrected from this fallen earth's dirt. And I will be made whole and glorious. See, the earth has no more victories over those who belong to Jesus. And then secondly, Jesus overcomes the sinful, ungodly world system by transforming man's perspective. Here's the words of one who had been transformed. They're, they're found in Luke chapter 18, verse 28, and it was, these were spoken by the apostle Peter. Peter says, Lord, we have left all to follow you. You are more important than I am myself. Personalism gone. Lord, you are more important than all this stuff that I've accumulated. We've left it all to follow you. And Lord, it's no longer just this moment right here that I care about. It's what you have called me to be that's off there. I will make you fishers. It's off there in the future. And Lord, I'm committed to, a, to an eternal view. You see, when a man is truly born again, when he's made alive spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit, his outlook on everything changes. Life's no longer about him, it's about Christ. Things are no longer most important. God's truth is, this present moment is not the focus eternity is. And as a result, this believer is no more of the world. For Christ has overcome even that world system for him. Ultimately, now this morning, these red-letter words provide a most unexpected attitude directive. Because the other two things can be true, and they may not lead to this attitude. We could say that uh, in this world we'll have trouble, and we sure know it, and we've had it. We can say Jesus has overcome the world, and we could say, and, and I'm... He's my Savior. He has. And someday, someday, I'll receive the benefits of that. But right now, you know, uh, I still have trouble in this world. It comes all the time. But because I believe in Jesus, I've learned to grit my teeth and grin and bear it and put up with it. And people can say, boy, I would have quit if I were you. Well, I'm trusting in God. <sighs> I said, boy, you've got a lot of fortitude and courage and strength and all that. But the one thing they wouldn't say I have is what Jesus said I should have. He says, therefore, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Don't just grin and bear it. Don't just wait for it to happen. But right now, this moment, be of good cheer. And I'm using the King James there because I like that phrase. King James uses the words good cheer every time Jesus used the Greek word that, that's recorded in the scripture. Be of good cheer. Be lighthearted, positive, happy, confident. 
By the way, that was one of Jesus' favorite expressions. i just read a couple of them for you. To the paralytic who'd been lowered down through the roof to him. Remember when the people who were coming, bringing him to be healed by Jesus, hoping he'd be healed. There were so many around the door they couldn't get in, so they tore the roof off and they lowered this poor man down on a mat right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him in his crippled up condition and he says, son, be of good cheer. This guy probably hadn't had any good cheer in his heart ever since the paralysis set in. Jesus says, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And then we know Jesus went right ahead and also reversed his physical condition. To the desperate woman, the woman who had this incredible problem that we're hemorrhaging without hope and help and a terrible condition. And and she came out in public, which she probably didn't even do that often, and snuck up in a crowd right behind Jesus and, and thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, just the hem of his garment. He's the son of God. I know he is. He's the Messiah. He's a miracle worker. If I just touch him. Her faith was such that she believed maybe almost magically something would happen And she touched him. And she was immediately healed. And she knew she was. She could feel the strength returning to her body. And Jesus turns around to make sure that she doesn't go home with any misconception in her mind. And he says, who touched me? And she comes forward. Probably with a a lightness of heart she hadn't had in all of her life. And Jesus says to her, be of good cheer. First thing she was scared out of her mind to be brought into the public. Maybe Jesus is going to ask her, what kind of problem did you have? He looks at her and he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has healed you. There came a night, recorded in Mark chapter 6, verse 50, there came a night when Jesus sent his disciples to go out in the boat and go back to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind them to pray and take care of what business he had. And and then in the middle of the night, the the wind was strong. The disciples were not making much headway. It was going to take them all night to get across that lake as the wind was against them. And, And Jesus comes walking on the water. And it says he was going to pass them. He didn't intend to make their trip any easier. It's like, hey, guys, you're fishermen. You might need the exercise. Keep, keep going. You'll get there eventually. says he was going to pass them. But they saw him and thought he was a ghost. And they really got freaked out. Well, now I can't pass them because these guys are in a bad way. And so he comes to them and he says, be of good cheer. It is I. I still would say, it's me. Bad English, but more common. And he came and met them. Be of good cheer. They were terrified. Good cheer was the exact opposite of what they were experiencing. But he says, you can experience a complete opposite when you realize it's me here. It is I. And then to the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Paul was nearing the end of his, uh, his missionary ministry. He was back in the Jerusalem area, 
and, and the Jews were besetting him. The Jews were going to just rip him to pieces in a public setting. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were going at each other and were going at him. And the Roman ruler stepped in to rescue Paul from that chaos. And he put him in, in a safe place. And it says that very night, the Lord Jesus appeared to, Saul, to Paul and he says... Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. You will testify of me in Rome. You're going to the big city. You're going to the capital of the empire. This is not the end with all these Jewish leaders. Just nobody's accepting your message. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. You're almost been ripped to pieces by them in Jerusalem, your own capital city. But be of good cheer, Paul. You're going to testify of me in the capital of the empire before Caesar himself. Let that just buoy your spirits. See, to the disciples in his day and to you and me in ours, he says again, John 16, 33, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So let that start to bubble up. Even tomorrow. If something happens particularly because you're a Christian or you take a position that others don't like and they slander you for it, they talk mean about you, they really make you feel like you're nothing but a, a pain in the neck to them because of what you believe. Don't grin and bear it. Don't say this too will pass. Someday they'll get what's coming to them. Just be of good cheer. You belong to one who has triumphed over all that stuff they're sending your way. They're sending that your way because they're thinking like the world. They're mired in that system. Or this is happening because this, this physical planet we're on is in a broken shape and, and things, a, a storm may come and blow the roof off your house. Stuff like that happens. But be of good cheer. That's not the most important thing. That's not the ultimate thing. Your Savior has overcome the world. And he can intervene on your behalf in remarkable ways. So be of good cheer. Our final thought says this. Good cheer is marvelous evidence that we trust in the one who has overcome the world. How can you have that at it? Well, because of Jesus. Jesus has overcome the whole world. Jesus has overcome the way that, that other people think things have to be. You already anticipate what's happened to me is going to have a terrible outcome. My faith in Jesus says what this terrible thing that has happened to me is going to have a wonderful outcome. God's going to make something glorious out of it and he's going to do something within me because of it. And so I'm already rejoicing in it even though I don't know what it is yet. You see, it's an attitude like no other and it's pretty rare 
and it's absolutely potent and can be impactful without words, just our attitude that God has a hold of our life. Heavenly Father, the old hymn says, this world is no friend to grace, never has been. We in this country have been uh, kind of protected by the grace, the truth of the Christian faith more so than, than many other believers throughout time. But Father, we know there's things changing in our lifetime. We are facing things. We can be accused of, of following one who is himself flawed and his teachings being ineffective. And, and Father, we can't, we can't buy into that. We have to realize that, that Jesus Christ has overcome this world physically and spiritually in every way. And that when we are committed to him, our life is in his hands. Our life is being guided and led by his Holy Spirit. And the Father himself has plans for nothing but our blessing and goodness. And so, Father, keep our spirits right where they ought to be. Lifted high. May we be people of good cheer. Because we're connected to the Lord Jesus himself. We ask this now in his name and for his greater glory. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.